I don't know if you've ever heard this prayer before or not. I think I got this probably as an email forward one day. And just because I'm reading it from stage does not give you permission to send me all of your email forwards uh, unless they're really funny. But uh, uh, listen, listen to this one. This is an email forward. Maybe you've seen this before. It's a prayer. It goes like this. Lord, I think I've done okay today. I've not said a bad word. I've not spoken a harsh word to my wife or my roommate. I've not lost my temper with a coworker or friend. I've not looked lustfully at another woman, but Lord, I'm about to get out of bed. So if you could help me out with the rest of the day, uh, it would sure be nice. But it's kind of like that, isn't it? I mean, have you ever uh, started a new day? You know, maybe you said, okay, everything changes today. I'm ready to get off on a better foot. I, I, I'm going to do things differently. And, and then you get started into the day and realize how difficult it is. Or maybe walk out of here on a Sunday and think, okay, tomorrow morning is when it starts. I am a new person, uh, never again to be the same, but, but then life happens, you know, and it just kind of comes upon you and various circumstances that come along. And so all of this motivation that you had to do this or to do that or to change things, well, it just kind of evaporates uh, rather slowly or something. It, it's almost like it seems impossible. I mean, and you feel powerless to the point that, you know, you want to do this or you want to do that, but you can't seem to get on track. And so, you know, maybe you start your day or your week and you think, okay, I'm going to have a different attitude today, but then your attitude changes and it becomes the wrong attitude. Or you think to yourself, uh, I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to keep my thoughts to myself, but then you kind of get dragged into the conversation. Or you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to practice some self-control here. I'm going to avoid certain websites um, and then what do you know? You know, I mean, you ever wonder why you even try? I mean, why even give the effort? Why even say, hey, I'm going to make this change in my life? I mean, why do we make these adjustments or try and make these adjustments? Because then the frustration just sets in and that kind of weighs you down. Or, you know, you start to suffer through some of the consequences. They, they take on uh, this different toll in your life based on the decisions you make. I mean, can we just all agree that, that it's tough to live in this world and not of this world, as the scriptures say? It's it can be really challenging to follow Jesus. It, it can be really difficult to, to leave a former way of life and say, I'm going to be a new person. You know, I'm going to make all of these changes. Well, we're continuing in our Romans 8 series today. Uh, as we discovered last week, the Apostle Paul is the writer of this particular letter. Uh, he's writing to a group of people uh, in this particular church in Rome, but people just like you and me. And, and these words, they, they stand for us today. And, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to get a CD from the Info Hub or go to our website and listen to our podcast so that you can follow along with us in this series. Uh, this is week two. Again, last week we discovered as a bit of review that Romans 8 is good news. I mean, Romans 8 is really good news. Now, you've got to read 1 through 7 to really, truly appreciate the good news of Romans chapter 8. But Romans 8 is a message of freedom. Uh, it's a message that forgiveness is available for those who put their trust in Jesus. That if you know him as your Lord and Savior, the good news is that you're no longer a slave to sin. Uh, we've been freed from sin. Uh, we are no longer condemned as Romans 8, 1 proclaims. Uh, we've been freed in Jesus. Uh, you are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And the key word that we looked at last week was the word freed. And if you're taking notes with us this week, uh, the key word for this week is the word empowered. It's the word empowered. Now let's go to the text. Uh, if you want to follow along with us in your own Bibles, we're going to skip over a few verses. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 9. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 9. And we've got the verses for you on the screen too. 
uh, Paul starts off this way. He says, but you, and I just think it's real important to stop there and note that in the previous verses, and, and I'd recommend you check these out for yourself, but in the previous verses, he's reminding us again of what it means to be a slave to sin, that it's a former way of life, that, that you're living under condemnation when you are a slave to sin outside of Jesus Christ. But remember, he's talking to Christians now. He's talking to, to many people, like many of you, you know, sitting here today, but you, I mean, there's a clear distinction in who he's talking to. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And he just kind of adds here, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Verse 10, And Christ lives within you. Remember, He's with us. Just like the song says, So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives life will give you life because you have been made right with God. Remember, we can find our way back to God because of Jesus Christ. He makes us right with God. Now, verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And now this is a good verse. We're going to talk about this one in a few minutes. At just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation... If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we have no obligation to go back to the way we used to live, to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you will live. All right, and so this is the good news. Paul continues in this writing, reminding us that as Christians, you and I are no longer controlled by the sinful nature, that if Jesus is your Savior, you no longer live condemned, but you are freed. Uh, We are freed through Christ Jesus. We have been set free from the reign that sin once had over us. So now what? I mean, what do we do with that? I mean, when we know that truth and we embrace that truth, how does that change things for us? I mean, what's God's plan for your life and mine? If you're taking notes, write this down. God wants to empower you to become more like Jesus. That's His great plan and His great purpose for your life to change you to become more and more like Jesus every day in all that you do. His plan for your life is all about you becoming more like His Son, and that's why He sent His Spirit. That's why you sent His Spirit to live in you. If Jesus Christ is yours, then you can have the confidence of knowing that the Spirit is in you and that Spirit is full of power and that Spirit is working and He is ready in you to help you become more and more like His Son. Uh, the Spirit is there to give you the power to live for God and to give you the power to overcome sin and temptation in your life. The Holy Spirit is there to control your mind and to control your actions. And this Spirit, this power is available to everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, unfortunately, I think so many of us, uh, even as followers of Jesus Christ, I mean, we lose focus, we lose sight of this truth all the time in our living. And, And we go about trying to do it all to accomplish on our own, and we overlook this truth that God is living inside of us. We, we, we live unaware. We rely on ourselves. And even in our best intentions, we're like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try harder. And, and I've heard this today, so I'm walking out and tomorrow everything changes. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this way in my life. I'm, I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to really dig deep and, and I'm going to do it this time. But you can't do it on your own. And, and I can't do it on my own. I and mean, we're incapable of growing outside of the work and the spirit of God that is in us. Because we don't have the strength to do it on our own. And that's why God sent His Son. That's why God sent His Spirit to live inside of us. 
Now, there's a good chance when we come to a topic like this, and even with some of the words that I use, that it might raise some questions for you. And, and if this is a first time to church, or you haven't been many times, or the first time back in a long time, you know, there might be some foreign language of sorts here. But at the same time, it doesn't matter how long you've been around the church. I mean, we can all kind of lose track, lose sight, lose focus once in a while of some of these truths in Scripture. So as we think about the Holy Spirit today, what I've tried to do is to just try and capture a few of the questions that I think I'd ask uh, if I were in your seat or questions that I think you might be asking as you sit here today. You know, some questions of what does it mean to live in the Spirit? I mean, what does it mean to have the Spirit of God in me? What does it mean to be empowered by the Spirit? So as a way of kind of being a guide for us, I want to ask a few questions together uh, in our time here this morning. And so if you're taking notes and you can follow along, the first question is this, who in the world is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? Well, Romans 8, verse 9 again, Paul writes, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So write this down in your notes. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, That is the clear, simplest definition that I can give for you of the Spirit of God, is that the Holy Spirit is is God. He is fully God, the third member of the Trinity. He is not an it. Uh, Jesus often referred to the Holy Spirit as a him. And, And there are some interchangeable terms that come with Uh, with the Spirit. I mean, depending on the Bible you use or depending on the church tradition you grew up in, you may have heard him referred to as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. In each of these situations, we're talking about the same person. We're talking about the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit has always been Uh, He wasn't some plan B that came on a little later or for those that were really into that kind of thing, you know, that you could go with the Holy Spirit. He's been there from the very beginning of time with the Father and the Son. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Now hear this, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so the Spirit has always been. He has been there from the start. Now, when we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one of the terms that we'll throw out from time to time is this word Trinity. Now, the word Trinity means three in one, that the Trinity is God in three persons. And of the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit is the one that we're most confused by. I mean, is that fair to say that, you know, it's almost as if the the Holy Spirit has this mystical sense to it of sorts. And and there's an intrigue that comes with talking about the Holy Spirit. He's the one that we're most unfamiliar with. And, And even though, I mean, even though the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 350 times in Scripture, again, he is probably the most misunderstood of the Trinity. But he doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be misunderstood. I mean, we don't need to be concerned or confused by the Holy Spirit if we remember that He is God, that He is fully God. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God Himself, through the Spirit, He lives inside of you. Uh, if you're looking for a little extra this week, a little extra homework, uh, John 14, 15, and 16, maybe you can spend some time uh, reading these on your own as they offer some great understanding on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so read through these chapters for yourself. We'll look through some of them as we go here today. But, but who's the Holy Spirit? Well, to answer our question there, the Holy Spirit is God. He is fully God and no less. The second question is, why do I need the Spirit? You know, this talk of needing the Spirit in me, um, why do I need the Spirit? Well, in John chapter 16, verse 7, look at these words of Jesus. He says, but I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You know, if you think about it in sports terms, there's nothing greater than a home field advantage, right? I mean, if you're a Colts fan, we know that for many years now, Lucas Oil Stadium has been great home field advantage. I'm not sure how that's going to hold up against the Steelers tonight, though, all right? I, I don't know what you're thinking about this, but, you know, if you play sports, you know, there's nothing like being on your court or your field. Uh, if you're a golfer, you know, there's nothing like having your own irons, unless they're my clubs. I mean, anybody else's clubs are better than my clubs. Uh, if you travel a lot, uh, you know that being at home in your own bed offers an advantage. There's an advantage to each of these things that we're familiar with. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage. I mean, he was talking to his people. He says, it is to your advantage that I go to heaven because if I go to heaven, there's another who will come. There is a helper. And you might see that capitalized uh, in your words because Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. The helper will come. It is to your advantage that I go because if I go the Helper, the Holy Spirit will come to you. Now again, why? Why do I need the Holy Spirit? Why do I need the Helper? Well, as we talked about last week, every one of us has a sinful nature. And again, depending on the Bible that you use, the translation that you use, uh, these words are sometimes translated as the word flesh. Uh, That we have this sinful nature, we have this flesh, that it is our sinful nature that is to blame uh, for the condition that we find ourselves in. It's our sinful nature that continually tempts us to violate God's law. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are living under the full power and the full influence of the sinful nature. If, if nothing changes in your life before you die, one day you will endure the, the consequences and the punishment for your sinful nature. You are condemned. I mean, as the Scriptures teach that eternal punishment, hell is what, ahead, is, what is ahead for you. But the good news is that it can change with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin. He is the solution to that label that says condemned. And when you surrender your life to him, that that label is removed forever and you are proclaimed free and forgiven in Jesus Christ. It's why he came. It was a part of God's plan. But even with all of that, Paul reminds us, that that as followers of Jesus, until Jesus returns, that that sinful nature still has some influence over us. It still has some power. And that even in our victory, that sinful nature, it's almost like it's left some toxins behind that we've got to deal with. And we can be persuaded to give over to the lies of the sinful nature. And even as Christians, I mean, can we just say that we're all tempted? We're all tempted every day. I'll show you an example of this. This is called... uh, this is called the marshmallow test. And uh, I was at a church earlier this summer, and, and they showed this video and thought you might appreciate the marshmallow test. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. Great, watch these kids. I'm going to go do something and then I'll come back. 
I think you get the point of it. It just goes on and on and on, and there are a bunch of more kids. But it's almost like this, and marshmallows aren't even really that good when you think about it, but it's just like, it's like a magnet that draws these kids in. I, I, I was interested, or I thought it was fascinating to find that this marshmallow test, which obviously this church took and did something creative with, uh, really comes out of a study from 1972 when Stanford University put the very test, same test, uh, in place uh, and called it the marshmallow test, but it's all about deferred gratification, uh, waiting. Uh, it's all about temptation, you know, and, and what we see happening in this particular classroom, um, it's really kind of what we see in the scriptures. It's, it's what happened in the Garden of Eden too, when, when God said, uh, you can eat from any tree in the garden. I mean, did you notice that about that? You can eat from any tree in the garden. I'm just saying there's one that I'm asking you not to eat from. It's all yours but one. And then you throw in Satan's influence and you throw in temptation and you can see, I, I think, and, and from this video too, how you and I, it, it's our story as well that there's a power, there's an influence that the sinful nature has over us even when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And, and, and so you can see why we need, we need God's power. Uh, we need His strength in us. What did the Apostle Paul say last week in Romans chapter 7? He said, hey, what a wretched man I am. And then he said these words in verse 21, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I mean, the spiritual battle that Paul faced then, uh, that spiritual battle is real, uh, if not greater, even today for all of us. The, The lines are being drawn in your life and in my life every day. And each day you're enticed to drop your guard or to give in to something, to give in to the pressure that something in us is always inviting us to cross the line into a territory that we knew we were meant, that we know that we're meant not to go. Now, why is it wrong for us? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Remember, we're no longer condemned, we're free. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And so in Jesus, uh, you and I are a new creation. And when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that label again that was marked condemned over your life was removed from you and you were freed. And you've started a new course, you've started a new journey. You can't give your life to Jesus Christ and stay the same. And some of you are really held up in that right now. And you, you've got to get beyond that. And, and you need to rely and lean on God's strength and His power to do that. Because you can't give your life to Jesus and stay the same. Again, because He wants to keep changing us. God has new plans for you. What are those new plans? Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Now verse 10. Put on your new nature, the writer says, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and what? And become like Him. There it is again. God wants to empower you and I to become more and more like Jesus. I mean, that's His plan for your life, to become more like Him. Now, can you do that on your own? Can I do that on my own? No. Uh, You may think that you have a lot of willpower, 
that you are strong, but outside of Christ, outside of the work of the Spirit, we don't have the ability to do this on our own. And that's why God sent the Spirit, and that's why you need Him. And that's why we're called to throw off the sinful nature, to set aside those wicked deeds, and to be renewed. Now, what's our motivation to do something like that? Well, I'll tell you, and we should just acknowledge that fear can be a motivator, right? And I think we're all guilty of looking to God once in a while and say, okay, God's like an angry cop or he's like a really tough principal or something. And so I need to get my act together. And, and fear as a motivator, that you can do that for a little while. But do you know what I think the greatest motivation is? I think the greatest motivation is his love. It's when you and I truly understand and embrace the truth of His love and that you possess at the very same time a desire to live obediently, to live for Him, that it's His love that points us in the right direction in our living. It's kind of like this. Um, when I got married to my wife, uh, at, our particular, at, at our ceremony, there are some rules uh, that I said that I would live by. Now, after we got married, I discovered that there were more rules that we just didn't talk about on that particular wedding day, uh, but you learn them, things like, you know, doing the dishes and cleaning up the closet. And so I, I said, I'll, I'll be faithful to my wife, you know, I'll provide for her, I'll, I'll be with her forever. But again, you know, you learn about the dishes and you learn about picking up after yourself and cleaning up your closet and things like that I actually have to say when I'm thinking, you know, even though I, I try and fight that one as much as possible. Now, if I saw all of these as rules and commands and requirements to being a husband or to being in a marriage, I'll I'll tell you, I wouldn't be in a very life-giving relationship. I wouldn't enjoy my marriage. I I wouldn't appreciate what I have. And, you know, because I'm just looking at a list of rules and thinking, okay, I got to work really hard because that's what I'm supposed to do. But because I love her and because she loves me, and because of the joy that we experience in our marriage together, I, I know that I can do the dishes and I can put down the toilet seat and other extravagant acts of service, you know, that come up. Because it's not a big deal and I can find joy in them. You know why? Because it's about the relationship. I mean, I can serve my wife not out of fear and guilt. Sometimes it's out of fear and guilt. But, you know, I can serve her because I love her. I can serve her because I'm thankful for her. I mean, it's the love that is in the middle of our relationship that that brings us together. And it's the love thing that best motivates me to serve God and to live for Him. I want you to hear this. God loves you. And maybe you need to hear that today. And He is not angry with you. And He has been pursuing you and He wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. And I believe that we best serve God and we best live for Him and avoid and eliminate sin in our life when we allow His love to be our motivation. But I'll tell you this, it takes more than love. It takes more than acknowledging that love to to, to live for Him. Um, It it takes the Holy Spirit. It it takes the Spirit of God working in you that it can empower you to live uh, your life for Him. Now, why do you need the Spirit of God in you? Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Because you and I, we're weak on our own. Uh, We can't do it on our own. I mean, what does it take to live for God? Why do we need the Spirit of God in us? Because we are weak in our own, that we're not capable of living for God on our own. And that's why the Spirit of God was sent as a helper. That He is God with us, that He is God in us as a helper. And He will be in you. Um, And and, and when He's in you, I mean, He could never be more closer than, than that great truth. The third question is, do I have the Spirit in me? Now, this is an important question. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Uh, Therefore, can the Holy Spirit empower you to live this life? Here's the answer. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God is in you. 
God is with you. Uh, If you've put your trust in him for today and for all eternity, the answer to that question is yes. But don't just take my word for it. Let's look at the scripture. Um, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this verse, Peter speaks of two promises uh, that we can be clear on. The first is that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're forgiven and your sins are removed. Now, there's a void that's left over and the Spirit of God is sent in place to fill that void. It's like he uh, he takes up um, permanent uh, living in your life. Your life becomes his permanent address. And that's why Paul used words in Romans 8, 9, like you're different. You are not controlled by the Spirit. Remember, he's writing to new Christians, people like you and me, and he wants us to see that when we receive Christ, when you trust him, we're different. We're new people. You're a brand new creation. Again, you can't give your life to Jesus Christ and keep living the same. Like something has to change in you. There's a difference in living condemned and living freed. And it's not that Christians are wiser. And it's not that Christians are smarter. And it's not that Christians are worth more to God. That's not what separates those who are Christ followers and those who are far from Him. What's the difference? It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God living in His people. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not living in you. But He can. Romans 8.11, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul writes, lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living within you. Now, I think it's real interesting here. The word living, uh, and it's living in the NIV and the NLT and the King James Version, I think it's the word dwelling, actually comes from the Greek word oikos, which means house or home. And again, it's just this emphasis. It's this implication that the spirit of God takes up residency in your life. And he's always there. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20, Paul writes again, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, another way of saying home, who lives in you and was given to you by God, again, as a helper. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Again, there's that same language of becoming more and more like him. If you know Jesus as your Savior, God himself, the Spirit of God, is living inside of you. He's there right now. Now, maybe once in a while, and especially if you've been around church uh, for some time, you've thought to yourself, well, I'm going through a really dry season. I'm going through a really dark time. I've been gone for a long time, and I'm just now coming back. Well, what does that mean for me? He won't leave. And if you are here today, and, and you can point to a time when you invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, but for whatever reason... Um, you know, you, you've gone on a journey that maybe you have or have not controlled or whatever, and you've ever wondered if God has just left you, abandoned you. Um, the truth is that he won't leave. Um, when you invited him into your life, he took you at your word that you were inviting him to be the leader. And, and so he won't go. But as I heard one pastor say one time, and I'm just going to be honest with you right now, this really goes really high on the cheese ball meter, really, really high. There is a difference between the Spirit being a resident in your life and the Spirit being the president of your life. See what I mean? Resident versus president. It's really cheesy. It's going it's to get worse over the years, folks. I, as, as I get older, it's just going to get worse. But, but seriously, I mean, think about what that implies. So I, I think it raises a question for every one of us to wrestle with. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life? Meaning, does he have full permission in your life right now to do his very best work, to change anything and everything about you, to to grow you, helping you become more and more like him? Is he the leader and the Lord of your life, or is he your ticket to heaven? 
Because I think there's a difference for so many of us today. That, that It's wonderful and awesome to see Jesus Christ as, for, for lack of better terms, a ticket to heaven. But if it's reduced to simply that, man, we are missing so much. Because he's never given us that option. You know, because I think a lot of times we, we get so busy inviting Jesus to follow us around when he's really, again, never given us that option. He's called us to be followers. Look at it like this. We've, we've got a number of connection groups that are meeting right now and, and many of them that are going through this Romans 8 study with us. And they're meeting in homes and they're meeting here uh, throughout the week and just building relationships, studying together, praying together. It's a great way to get connected to our church. Well, I heard someone once say that the very best connection groups are those groups where the relationships have matured to the point where everyone has refrigerator rights. All right, now, I know that might scare you, but just that your relationship, your friendship with these people are so strong that when they come over to your house, they can go get something to drink. And they don't really need to ask because you're cool with it. You know, you've already covered that ground. Uh, Is your group like that? Anybody in a group like that? Um, Here's a question I want to ask. Does God have... Does God have that kind of permission? Does He have those refrigerator rights in your life right now? I mean, has your relationship with Him grown to the place where you have given Him that permission to do that work in your life, to have that authority over you, that influence over you, and how you entertain yourself, and how you live, and the decisions that you make, in your career, in the major you've chosen, in the relationships that you're in, in your finances? I mean, is He the Lord of your life? And in such a way that, again, He can have this influence over you, is he leading your life or are you? Is the Spirit of God leading your life or are you? Romans 8 again, 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, again, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do because you've been freed. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But then get this, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Now, last week, there was a phrase that I told you to underline, and it was the phrase, through Christ Jesus, that how are we freed? Who releases us from condemnation? It's nothing that I can do on my own. It's through Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's real important to point out here, how do we live? Like, how do we go on living? It's through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us live. And and that leads to our next question. How do I live by the Spirit? How do you live a Spirit-filled life? How how do you live your life fully surrendered to God's work in you? I'll be honest. I wish it were a really simple answer because it would be an easier way of tying this up this morning. But it's not. Uh, It's not just a simple, hey, here are two or three steps you've got to take. You'll get it. You'll be fine. I think the key word is process. It's a process to learn to be fully surrendered to God. It's a process that becomes more and more natural as we learn to trust Him, as we lean into Him. And and the problem that we run into is when we say, you know what, I'll do it on my own. I'll I'll just work really hard and I'm going to put my best foot forward and I can do this on my own. But we have to learn to lean into, to fully surrender to the Spirit of God. Now, how do you do that? Well, again, it's a process. You know, it's like being a great athlete. I mean, when you think about it, the very best free throw shooters... Shoot a lot of free throws. The very best putters practice putting. The very best punters practice punting. It's a process. It takes practice to learn to lean into the Spirit. And you know, if I could just give you a few practices for you to be thinking about in your life, they're they're pretty obvious, but let's be reminded of them again. Prayer. Spending time with God in prayer is is a great way to surrender more and more to the Spirit in your life. Now, in addition to the talking we do when we pray, um, practice listening. 
in prayer. That's one that I've really got to work on is practicing the listening part, you know, listening and being quiet. Uh, Another is seeking counsel and accountability from other godly men and women around you. It's a great way to to surrender more and more of your life to the Spirit, that God would even speak through them or, or speak through something like your connection group. I mean, do you have somebody in your life right now who's qualified that, you know, could speak into your life in such a way? You know, the Spirit will lead you through pastors and teachers and other leaders or all these ways put together. Uh, The Spirit is ready and willing to work here on a Sunday morning, maybe through a song or through a particular message, like one of those messages where you think to yourself, that was for me. Like that was just for me. That that God would work in that way. But God will work in any of these ways. But I'll tell you the most reliable way, I believe, to lean into the Spirit, to surrender the Spirit, is to read your Bible. I mean, I believe this is the most reliable way to hear from God is to read the very words of God, that it's not just an ancient book, but, but these words are useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training and righteousness. In John fourteen twenty five to 26, it says, I'm telling you these things now. Jesus says this while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that's the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So again, these are practices and practices mean you practice them. You know, buying a treadmill won't guarantee you get fit unless you get on it regularly. You know, unless you work out on that thing. And so we've got to practice these things. And by practicing them, we're saying, hey, God, I need you. I need more of you. I am recognizing that you're with me. I'm giving you permission to work in my life. I'm going to invite our host team to come forward right now. Um, We're going to take communion together and our band's going to come out on stage. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to take communion with us today. Um, All you have to do is take one cup. It's actually two cups, though. Uh, There's the crackers underneath it, so uh, just so that you're aware. As you take that, um, just track with me one more moment here. There's one more thing I want to suggest to you before we close, before we share communion and finally some worship. There's a word that I want to give you today that I really think can help you and me understand where we go from here, how we really act on some of this. Um, Let me tell you a story real quick. I had a birthday this past week, um, and I'm 36 now, and I feel a little bit older. And if you're older than me, you're probably saying, well, you're just a young guy. And if you're younger than me, you're going, yeah, you can see it, the gray hair and all. You're getting older. But um, I was playing softball the other night. And and as a guy who's getting a little bit older, I'm realizing that my body doesn't always mend like it used to. And uh, but I'm still determined to be pretty active. And so we were we were putting the smack down on this team the other night in softball. And it was a lot of fun. And, And I'm typically just kind of a line drive base hit kind of a guy. But but I got up in the second game and I said, I'm gonna give a full swing. And so I I had a nice line drive, but the left fielder caught it. And, and so then, you know, we batted around again. It was my turn. So I get up again. I'm, I'm going to try it again. I hit it. And man, as soon as I hit it, I knew, okay, I got behind that a little bit. And sure enough, that line drive went over the left fielder's head. And so I rounded first. I rounded second. I rounded third. And just for the record, I could have scored. I know that I could have beat the play home. But it was almost like when I rounded third and sort of looked over on my back shoulder that there was this voice that sort of said, Paul, you're not 35 anymore. All right. You are now a 36 year old man. Be smart. You know, again, it's like I'm becoming more and more aware of some of my limitations. That's a long way of just telling you this. I think the key word for us this morning is aware. It's an awareness. And I want to challenge you as you walk out of here today to live aware of the fact that the Spirit of God, God Himself is with you, that He is inside of you, and that nothing can stand in your way because of that, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He lives in you, that He chose you, 
that he has picked your body as his holy temple to live inside of. And he is ready to do his greatest work. That You know, you and I are at an incredible disadvantage when we overlook the presence of the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. You know, and as Romans 8, 11 says, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he lives in me. The same Spirit. And you don't know how incredibly encouraging that can be for me as a leader and as a pastor at times to remember and to be reminded that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, He's working in me. And maybe that's an encouragement for you this morning in your marriage. Because if you've ever wondered if your marriage could heal or get back to another place, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He's inside of you. And He can do that work in you too. Or if you've been concerned about your future, uh, maybe finding a job or your major or what you're going to do when you're graduated or even pay for college, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He is in you. Hey, if you're struggling with trusting God, whether it be for some greater work in your life or financially, again, the God, same God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He is in you. If you're single and you're wondering how in the world you're going to get through another season of holidays alone once again, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He is at work in you. If sin has a hold in your life and you want to overcome it, again, the same Spirit. And even for our church, as we pray about reaching more, as we pray about expanding our mission right here in Hamilton County, even beyond this place, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He is in you and He is in me and He is leading this church. And He's good. Live aware of the Spirit of God in you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these great reminders from Scripture today uh, that you are there, that you are with us, and that if we know you as Lord and Savior, you never leave. And God, I pray that that might be just what someone needs to hear today, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you can do a great work in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.